0: Perhaps we might begin by agreeing that, whatever its genre or plot, a film's first responsibility is entertainment. I say this because entertainment is a term that is often used in a derisory or pejorative manner. Film is just mindless entertainment. However, entertainment is, by its very definition, anything but mindless. The term comes from the Latin intertenure, inter meaning inside and tenere meaning to hold. So, entertainment means to hold something inside, to hold your attention. However, if we do agree that a film's first responsibility is to entertain, a complication immediately arises when the film is based on historical events. Some people get upset when a film, adapted from a book, dares to change certain things, which leads me to wonder why so few people object when they see a film altering, or more accurately, abusing history. I think this is because, by and large, people worry about historical inaccuracies only when they consider those histories to be their own. If it's not part of our heritage, we shrug our shoulders and put it down to dramatic license. The filmmakers chose to change certain details in order to reach a deeper truth. But at what point are the filmmakers permitted to depart from the facts, and tell little white lies in order to deliver deeper truths. Perhaps we might continue by agreeing that all of history is an anachronism, a series of interpretations of, and liberties taken with, events that few people can agree actually happened. What are we allowed to change then? Are we bound only to important events, or are we permitted to alter only the less well-known episodes? But without a doubt, whether the history is yours or not, there are some histories that are absolutely crucial. The Shoah, for example, and slavery in US history, while other things are not so crucial, such as the life and tunes of, say, Johnny Cash or Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Amadeus is based on the play of the same name, written by Peter Schaffer, and first performed in London's National Theatre in 1979. It tells the compelling story, not of Mozart, the composer with the God-given talent, who died at the age of 35, but his contemporary, Antonio Salieri, who lived the ripe old age of 74, but whose gifts, while considerable, were nowhere near that of Mozart's. In the play, Salieri declares that he poisoned Mozart and thereby caused his death. With this intriguing premise, Schaffer's play proved an instant success, and in 1980 it was transferred to New York's Broadhurst Theatre, where it ran for over 1,000 performances. In 1981, Schaffer was awarded the Tony for Best Play, and in 1982 he sat down with Czech-born film director Milos Forman to adapt the play into a film. Now, Forman was no stranger to adaptations. He had already won an Oscar for directing the film version of Ken Kesey's enormously successful novel One Flew of the Cookies Nest, Amadeus proved even more successful, winning no less than eight Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Actor. So, what Little White Lies did Schaffer's play and Foreman's film tell? And more importantly, why did they choose to tell them? Well, to begin with, Antonio Salieri neither poisoned nor murdered Mozart. No one is absolutely certain as to what did cause Mozart's early death, but everyone agrees it was from natural causes. So, the question is, why did Schaffer invent the claim? The truth is, he didn't. The Russian author, poet and playwright Alexander Pushkin did. What happened was that with Mozart dying in 1791 and Salieri passing away in 1825, Pushkin wrote a play in 1830 called Mozart and Salieri. In it, he dramatized a musical rivalry between the two composers. But even Pushkin's play, twists the Truth, because there was no rivalry between Mozart and Salieri. Extensive documents, letters and diaries from the time show again and again that while Mozart and Salieri were contemporaries, and there may have been competition between the two, they were admirers of one another's work. So, why did Pushkin invent it? He did so as a means through which he could examine artistic envy. Without question, Mozart was one of the most gifted composers the world has ever known, and while Salieri was a popular composer in his day, within decades of his death, his repertoire had quickly faded from the concert halls and opera houses. And now, if he's remembered at all, it is only by proxy, through Mozart's genius, Schaffer's play, and Foreman's film. But whichever way you look at it, what you see are a series of battles between creativity and conventionality, between genius and mediocrity. Individuality and conformity. So the little white lies told in the film are contrived in order to explore those themes. Another lie the film perpetrates is that a number of Mozart's works were instantly and randomly rejected. For instance, the film would have us believe that the marriage of Figaro was a flop and that Don Giovanni closed after just nine performances. Historical documents tell us otherwise. So why those lies? I think it's because Foreman wanted to make the point that any person, be they an artist or not, is often beset by enormous opposition and must overcome any and all setbacks in order to survive and succeed. And of that truth, Foreman knows whereof he speaks. He was born in 1932 in what was then Czechoslovakia. With the Nazi invasion of his homeland and the outbreak of World War II, Foreman's parents were arrested for being part of the resistance. His mother was murdered at Auschwitz, while his father met the same fate at Buchenwald. So, young Milos was orphaned, but survived the fascist firestorm only to find himself living under the yoke of Communism. However, it was only later, when Foreman was a young man in his 20s, that he discovered his father was not dead. His real father, his biological father, was Otto Cohn, a Jewish architect who had miraculously survived the Holocaust. With that history in mind, we can perhaps see how Foreman sees the world. And as an artist, he uses Amadeus to present these experiences and struggles through a series of images and metaphors. Look at Amadeus and you'll see them everywhere. The question of identity is important, and so you will see a lot of people wearing masks. The question of individuality is essential, and so you'll see Mozart in bright colours and garish wigs, while Salieri is put in tight, dark clothes. This also brings into play the notion of expression and oppression. And then, of course, there is the whole religious aspect, with Salieri representing darkness. In the depths of his jealousy, Salieri renounces God, while young Amadeus... Well, if you translate his name into English, it means love of God. And I'm not making that up. That's the word of the Lord.